Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue. This is your host, Ty Davis, and I wanted to dedicate this month's episodes to a cause that is very special to me. This month, we're focusing on sexual assault and domestic violence awareness. Stay tuned after the episode for details on where you can get help if this is you. Welcome to Dynamics of Dialogue. This is your host, Ty Davis, and I'm here in the studio today with my special guest, author, Rashida Bean. She is the author of um, Unbroken, I Am Still Standing. Um, and this is, um, it's pretty difficult to read. I'm not going to lie. I started to read it. It's an excellent book, but it grips, it tugs on your heartstrings because it's written in such a beautiful voice. So, as you just started, Nishira, um, I want to ask you, what made you have the desire to write this book? Um, did anyone write my book? It's when my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, let me leave something, a legacy for my son and for grandchildren, because tomorrow's not promised. Right. And... It was an eye-opener when she passed because, you know, every people die, but when your mother passed away, that just changes your whole outlook on everything. Okay, and, and it does. I can imagine. I haven't had that experience. My mother is still here. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like her death, it sounds like it was, or of course, for anyone, losing a parent is, is a, it's a profound experience. It's like none other. There's nothing like losing a parent. There's mm-hmm. nothing like losing a child, nothing like losing a sibling. But um, the fact that losing her made you want to tell this story really yeah. sounds like it kind of brought some things up for you. Do you yeah. have any idea, recall, you know, what, I, so, you know, she passed and wanted to tell any story, but what is it that made you want to tell this story? Because this, this is really, it's powerful. Okay, so my she did, she did believe me when I told her. Okay. She did, she did believe me. And I just wanted to leave something for other people to um, teach their children about child molestation. Right. And I had parents that had my back. And I just wanted to leave something behind. And to so so share my truth. Just share my, my truth. Wow. It's a beautiful truth, and I noticed in here, um, I'm, I'm, I think I may have passed it. I'm sorry, I'm coming here now, but there's a section where you have uh, something in here. Oh, here it is, um, page 38, how we can spot a child molester. So I can tell that you put intention into this book. Yes. Yeah. Well, but really, I mean, it's so crazy to say that how can we spot a child molester, because and things have changed, you know, <laughs> written this book. Mm-hmm. So my 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 thing is that just be careful about someone that wants to always want to be alone with your child and sort of touch you with your child and sort of think of those things with your child and ask questions and you can find them all alone with that adult, female or female. A whole lot of relatives are cousin or uncle or brother. Just ask questions. Ask questions. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. You know, children always get so defensive and thinking you're being nosy. But you have every right to be nosy. It's just that child's a minor. 
and especially sometimes it's what keeps them safe. Yes. Although um, it doesn't necessarily always work. And, you know, we were just talking a little while ago, and I noticed as as a survivor also, I, I've tried, I, I know that I was kind of a helicopter parent. It's difficult to, to give your kids space when you know the monsters that are out there. You're a teacher. Just taking the aware. Come talk to me. Tell, tell me if something happens. Like, for instance, with my son, um, my godson, they're little kids. They're playing. And my son came and told me, Mommy, stuff and stuff touched my butt. Mm-hmm. He said, he came and he came and told me. And I jumped on him immediately. Mm-hmm. And he never has to worry about experiencing something like that because he knows what to look out for. It's something that feels uncomfortable, it's not right. If you feel uncomfortable and you're afraid, it's not right. Right, right. So let's talk about your story. Um, you know, I know that you this is this is part of your mission, you know, as a soldier in this army against this <laughs> guy, against, you know, the sexual assault and domestic violence. Um so I know it's kind of difficult. I, I think even though it's your story and you do this, I know it's kind of, I think it gets to be difficult to kind of recount that. Okay. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to create space for that and give honor to you for being willing to uh, come out and share your story. It's an amazing, great thing to do um, because it's like zipping down your pants in front of the public. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's the most vulnerable part of us, the soft underbelly that you don't show anyone. Um, but if you would um, share, um, you know, parts of your story that you feel comfortable with sharing, uh, please do that for us. Okay. Um, well, I was um, six years old when um, I picked me and my mother moved in with my grandmother, and she was married to an alcoholic, which is my step-grandfather, and he befriended me very quickly. Mm-hmm. But I was never taught about child breakers, sexual assault. This is the uh, early, late 70s. Mm-hmm. So my parents let me just hang with him all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. That's how they told you, okay, well, there's a baby sex. Mm-hmm. And they probably said, nothing was wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So this um, gentleman, he groomed me for, and I really can't say how many months later because I was only six. So when you said, I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask you because you, I think that's important that you say he groomed you for six months. Yes. So I would like to ask what that grooming is like, but if you continue. Okay. Um, I know one incident uh, when I was getting in trouble, he offered to thank me. And, um, we went to the bedroom and he said, this is, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to hit the bed with the belt and you act like you're crying. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not going to get a friend in, okay? So you hit the bed, she turns hard out. And he's like, okay, now you stay in the room and I thought, you know, I didn't beat you up and don't come out for a while. And okay, that's fine. I'm like, okay, this is my buddy right here. Mm-hmm. And the other incident, he let me drink coffee, let me drink beer. He took me to um, the gambling house where he used to have his parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he tried to have a few secrets. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like when I have my book that I love, my secrets. And then one entrance, and I was coming down to the basement, it felt different this time. He was sitting on the couch, and he had a, a, a beer in a hand, his hand, uh, his hand on a gun, he's watching TV, and I was looking for my mother. And like your mom was on in the bedroom, and comes knocking on the door. And then he laughed, like, oh, I'm just playing, she's not here. So I just turned around to run away, and he just grabbed me. He made me um, sit on his lap, and um, he had me grinding on his crotch, and tell me to give him a kiss. And next thing I knew, he threw me on the couch. And my little, little body, he suffocated my. He smothered my whole body. I'm a six-year-old little girl. And he just, he, he penetrated me and he was telling me to be still, to be relaxed, and that I'm going to be a lady anyway. So I, he's going to teach me how to become a, a woman. At the age of six. Mm-hmm. And I know I blacked out. I know, and I couldn't breathe. And I was beating him, you know, like, get off me, get off me, you're hurting me. And he was like, don't come on my body, you see that gun over there, I'll kill your mom. So, of course, I'm not going to say anything. And that happened off and on for, um, for a couple of years. He didn't penetrate me all the time. He was like, he used to, he used to always make me give him all sex. That's six years old. That's six years old. So, that's me, six, seven, eight, nine. That one, I'm up until nine years old. You know, I, I just want to pause a moment here. And, um, you know, Eddie gives you a little breather. Because that's an intense story. That's heavy, you know. Um, but um, this is exemplary of what so many black women go through. We sexualize as children. Um, the fact that he said that to you, you're going to be a, a, a lady anyway. Yes. Um, but for children, there is a consequence, whether the child is male or female, whether the assailant is male or female, there is a consequence to introducing them to sex, to sex too soon. Yeah. Because it alters, you know, what he did. I mean, imagine what that does for you to be having oral sex as a six-year-old. Yes. I, I, and how that, you know, manifests in your life as you go through puberty at a time? How does that affect you at a time when you are supposed to go through, right? You can't stop puberty. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. So, you know, there's all kinds of things that can come out of that. Um, Um, I I am just, I I just have to express that I'm sorry. You know, I mean, I know that you're a survivor and I've heard your story before, but it's so impactful to me. I just cannot do it without saying I'm just so sorry that you didn't do that. Yes. Yeah. But but it's so crazy because um I started my menstrual at nine. <laughs> right. So I could have you know got pregnant at that age. That's right. Which I did get pregnant at thirteen, but not by him, you know. Mhm. And I had an abortion. Right. But the first thing I got pregnant, I was the age I was. Okay. But the fact that do you think that you would have been having sex at 13 
Had that not happened? No, no. Because I would never, your body gets vacant. There's something like a hormone still waking up. And I think you crave, you crave that feeling, you crave that touch. You do, and I think that's where the shame comes from because part of it is really trying to understand how, um, you know, people cannot, it's very difficult to, when, when people, they, they just re-victimize the person who has uh, been a victim of the assault. Yeah. Because they say it went on for so long, you didn't do anything, and then look, he's promiscuous. But what they're ignoring is that, you know, because you may not want to do something, that doesn't mean that your body doesn't respond to it. It doesn't mean that hormonally, chemically, you know, the fact that these things are happening, it's sending signals to your body that you're developing, you're ready, you know, and I think this is one of the things I started my cycle when I was 20. Wow. And, and, you know, and so there's a lot of that you find. Um, there's a there's a correlation. Of course, again, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, but there is a correlation um, between that and, and the early onset. And, yeah. you know, children um, actually develop. I mean, because by the time you're 13, your body's going to be developed because a man has been having Yeah. And people are like, um, yeah, I'm 13. Where's your husband? You know, you know, what's your age? And exactly. So. Exactly. Exactly. But I have to abuse this, you know, my, my best friend's uh, brother-in-law, he's an older teenager. Mm-hmm. And I was, but 10. And he grew, he, he grew on me, but I was used to it, so I was easier to give myself to him. Because mm-hmm. I was used to it already. Because it kind of makes you feel, when it's introduced to you so young, doesn't it, and you don't really know, and there's no one... I mean, you know it's wrong, but it kind of makes you feel like that's what you're, you're supposed to give your body up when a man. Because it, it takes you away from your power. Yes. Right? It teaches you that you're, you don't have say so over your body. Yes. And that if they want it, you have to give it to them, and if you don't give it to them, they're going to hurt you. Exactly. So a lot of women exactly. learn how there's two things to So there's two things to that on one layer. Um, you know, it's again, and I wanted to talk about this, and again, I thank you for telling your story, because this is a, this is our story, a lot of our stories. So it's the reason why you'll never do, I don't refer to women as whores, whole, none of that. Because that's just simply a person that has learned how to capitalize on the fact that this was taken from her. Yeah. When it's taken from you, you're taught that it's you know, you learn that this is your body, and either you can process it, well, not just one or two ways, but you can process it in a couple of ways, but you can look at it and say, you know what? These men are always trying to take this from me. Yeah. How can I take control over this? Yeah. What can I do? And this is, is very largely, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much in favor of women in the sex industry having control. Yes. Because that's really what it is. It's about the control over their own bodies. And, it, you know, I, whether it's healthy or not, it's a journey. Um, yes. When we're on the journey, there's no, there should be no expectation that everything we're going to do is healthy. Because we have to discover when we're coming out of some murky dirt. Exactly. Yes. And I never told my mother about that situation with a teenager boy. She didn't know. Nobody never knew about that until I read my book. Until you wrote your book. Yeah. And she, she wasn't ready to read it. My mother passed, like I said, she passed, and I wrote it after, so. Do you think that it was difficult for you to tell the story while she was still alive, or 
you just didn't, um... I didn't think about doing it. I didn't, I didn't think about doing it. I did not. Okay. I sure didn't. Wow, wow. So, but the, mm-hmm. good. But the crazy thing is, the um, situation when I was 10, these gentlemen were still living. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell my best friend the story is about them before she got the book. Even though I changed names, and then she told me that she um, that he has her grand her little granddaughters. So I don't know. I haven't heard from her since I told her that. No, it's like uh, two and a half years ago. I just told her. So she received them. She called. She apologized, and she said that um yes, uh, he did. She was told that he raped um, his sister, going to He raped his, his sister? His, his own sister. Yes. So it sounds like, and that's the other part of it. That's why I thought it was so impactful that you put in here, um, I took the paper with that, that you put in here about spotting the child molester, because I think people should understand the differences. I mean, you know, people, we put them all in one category. But you talk about, um, where, where did it go? I'm sorry. You talk about the first part, the first, the, well, the, the quote you have by Catherine Ramsland talking about the first part, pedophiles being in one of four categories. So there's the mycopad, and that's offenders who are interested in molesting and abusing children because they want to harm them. Yes. All right? And, they, and have that control. And mm-hmm. then there's the regressed child offender, and that's the person that, has relationships with adults, but offended against a child because of a stressful event in that offender's life. Exactly. And they can seek someone they can control. And then there's the fixated child offender, stuck at an early stage okay. of uh, psychosexual development. Yes. Right, all right? They don't have a lot of activity with people their own age because they're uncomfortable with adults, and they seek out these relationships with children. Yeah. Um, and I tell you... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I pedophile. Yes, and that's, that's a, uh-huh. considered really um, uh, a retarded, retarded person. They don't know, they don't know the wrong from right. Right. Well, I'll say, well, you know, and I, I just just to step into that because I want to be sure that we're sensitive to all communities. You know, even people um, in with intellectual disabilities is um, you know the more appropriate term that they use these days. You know, it's like trying to really. There's so many terms that you just that, you know, these were terms that were business terms that like, were used in mental health, but, you know, now they're, they're evolving. So they talk about intellectual disabilities. And even those people, they know the difference between right and wrong. They just low, learn at a slower rate. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that um, in this case where it talks about the naive pedophile, I think that what we're looking at, like in a case with R. Kelly, he doesn't have a sense of right or wrong in that particular situation because to him, that was normalized. Yeah. And some, a, an older person was having sex with him. Yeah. So that, it, you know, it's not that, you know, you, you, you don't know things that are right, you don't know things that are wrong, but when this type of sexuality is normalized for you as a child, how do you now know as an adult? Even though you may hear all of these things, it's difficult to process that. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's where the real tragedy comes in. I think a lot of um, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that fall in all these categories, but I think about all the people who are victims of this assault themselves and who go on to offend. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the tragedy. So you know, let's talk about um um how you how that that uh, sexuality, right? This early awakened sexuality comes oh, wow. into life, and let's talk about that with puberty because I I want to give a voice to that because again, girls are often told that they're they're over sexualized. We're over sexualized from the time that we are children. You can go out and buy children's clothing with writing on the butt, drawing attention to their behind. You know, it doesn't, that's a little girl. Back when I was growing up, uh, you know, my, I, I start with my mom. When my mom was growing up, little girls wore bobby socks. Yes. And dresses. That's my grandmother. She told me, that's how she's like, my grandmother blamed me. Yeah. And my mother blamed me for getting assaulted because where my mother dressed me. Wow. That doesn't make any sense. I'm a little girl. You're a little girl. I'm very dressed like a little girl. She's a little girl, you know. It makes the assumption that men can't control themselves and that we have to account for men's ability to not control themselves. And that's not our responsibility. And this is a great example of how women perpetuate rape culture and patriarchy. By forcing other women to confine to be a certain way because of however a man don't look at you. Because you can't control what men do. It's, this is how women get disconnected from our power source because it's, we're taught to to disconnect from our power source mm-hmm. and submit to them. So right. let's talk about how um, that that process, you know, what that did for you. That you know, by thirteen, you're having sex and getting pregnant. You know, because mm-hmm. I know that was the experience. It's kind of like you got victimized all over again because yeah. I'm sure if you got blamed for being molested, I'm sure it must have been horrible when you got pregnant. Okay. <laughs> well, of course, you know, what I said being fast, which I thought I was being fast, because I didn't know the name for it, but I was hurting. Mm-hmm. And I was just out looking for attention and love, and there's a cute little boy in my school, he's a popular boy, and we befriended each other, and all we ever talked about was, oh, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day we ended up doing it with one hand check, one leg off out of my pants. <laughs> and it happened so fast. I guess that body was so hot. He didn't really, really penetrate me. Ooh. It was just enough for the semen to go inside and I ended up getting pregnant. And I knew, I knew then I said, I bet you I'm pregnant. Because it's all man. I, I ejaculated. I said, I bet you I'm pregnant. And sure enough, six weeks later, our school teacher took me to the clinic to get a pregnancy test, and I was pregnant. Um, did you did you talk to your school teacher? It was my, she was my aunt teacher. She was like one of my best teachers. You know, you had a favorite teacher in school. Yes, yes. So she took me to the clinic, and she was going to get fired because she took me off the premises. Oh, my gosh. And I wish I could find her. I don't know if she's alive or not. I wish I could find her. Hey, and then... I'm here, I'm trying to solve. I was going to ask, have you tried fishing on fishing? Yeah, I have, I have. I don't know if she's married or not, so I don't know. I tried to find her. Hmm, okay. But yeah, she took me to the clinic, and um, she, she uh, cried, and I was such in denial. Like, he stopped. I was just laughing, just laughing and laughing and laughing. And in the waiting room, with other girlfriends of mine, so I was pregnant with babies at the age of 13, 14. 
you know, it's heartbreaking just giving space to that because what you just described, I, I don't know if you realize how much you are a really good illustrator because really, you know, when I read it, it, I get transported. When I hear you tell your story, I get transported into the scene and I can see it. So, you know, as you describe that, I could just see this girl sitting there on the line. Yeah. And that's a very powerful moment because to me, that's a statement of the absolute failure that's occurring in our society. Yeah. If the girls are being assaulted, you know, what we talked about before, um, 60% of black women are being sexually assaulted by the age 18. Um, it may not be that, you know, I read, and I want to be really clear, that doesn't mean that 60% of black women are, are going to the police and reporting it. I think what's happening now is that we are, we, this is long suffering, and now yeah. so many of us are going to therapy. I know my own therapist has told me specifically that psychology is looking, you know, psychiatry is looking for, um, you know, black African American people's voices. Because these are crimes we don't, not just us, but, you know, uh, the Latino community. It's the same type of thing. The mm-hmm. Asian community. Um, the communities particularly where people don't speak English. Those are the ones that are even more susceptible because they're going to be less likely to report to the police because of all kinds of, you know, uh, So this is where it becomes a real tragedy that you have it as a societal thing and at the end, the offender himself is going free and has people defending him, like R. Kelly, still defending him, but then you have no one defending the little girl who's being, and, and this also highlights how it's not, you know, sexual assault is not a thing where you get victimized at one time and that's it. Yeah, I was victimized all through my life by men. Just by then, like, want to grope me or peek into the window or my boyfriend's brothers coming after me. Just victimized. I'm like, wow, I'm so tired of this, you know? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, why don't you fight back? This should be, you know, what you do. And, you know, how you, you, if somebody's trying to harm you, then you would think people automatically assume that you're, you're a black woman because they embody that angry black woman thing. So why aren't you fighting? But they don't understand we're human beings just like anyone else. And particularly at a young age when somebody teaches you, when they take control of your body and you learn as, as a six-year-old that a grown man can decide he wants to take your body and there's nothing you can do about it, then it does affect you psychologically. So, yeah. you know, people most often know about the fight or flight response but what they don't understand is the freeze or please response. Wow. Freeze or please, you know. And yeah. I know I've been in that situation myself. Mm-hmm. Um, depending upon who the offender is, depending upon what the situation is. Yes. And so if it's somebody, like I had it, like I talked about before, I had a situation with somebody that I just met had done something, and I froze. I froze because... It, you have, you, when somebody assaults you and threatens you with violence, you count the cost for yes. before you act. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. And, and then some people go into pleasing mode because they yes. rather please the, the the person instead of being beaten and having that. Exactly. That's so sad. It is. It is. So we don't do like I said. I I am taking. I took my power back. You know for me to get help and go to counseling and no, and that's enough. 
And that's just enough. I want to be the voice for the voice first, and let you know, you know, we're right at the side here, we got you, we can, we can help you, we can help counsel you, we can show you how to change your mindset, thinking that it's your fault, or you have suicidal thoughts. Take control, no, it's not your fault, it is not your fault. It's not, it is not. Um, and, and you said just a moment ago, that you had been victimized in most, several of the relationships. Can you just talk for a minute about what that looked like? About how, you know, because, you know, I, I just wanted you to articulate, uh, articulate that part so that people can understand. Well, victimized as um, they'll tell you, well, you're the woman, I'm the man, you're supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. I, I'm paying your bills. You're supposed to please me. Or, or even had one, the guy, well, my friend likes you. He wants to give me a thousand dollars. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Because he thinks you're so beautiful. And only for a few moments, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt nothing. I'm like, but what about me? What about my feelings? And you don't have enough respect for me. To let somebody else come and date me, you know, victimize me. Mm -hmm. Which never happened. I ended up leaving that in that I said, I love you. I don't, I don't have to put up with this stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had a brother, I mean, a boyfriend's brother, he could appear in a window in the, in the house. Where we lived at. And I go, and I went to go tell my boyfriend. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? Put some clothes on. We had one business picking in the window. That's victim being victimized. I love him. I'm not putting up with that stuff. He said, well, she wanted me to go after and fight him? No, go out there and confront him. I'm supposed to be your, your queen. You're supposed to protect me. That is so sad. And so this still right now, he still apologizes. But I, I, I don't want to even call me. He don't call me, leave me alone. Because he shouldn't have my back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just man teaching at me. I'm in my clothes or robe or whatever. Don't tell me, well, you should have put some clothes on. Oh, wow. That's okay. Yeah. That's and this only happened maybe six years ago. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's difficult. I think it becomes really um, difficult, you know, when all the men around you are like that. Yes. And it keeps happening. And this is a cultural thing that we don't acknowledge. Um, and even, you know, whenever you ask, uh, you know, I saw a meme the other day on Facebook, um, where they were just asking, you know, guys to, you know, to come in response to sexual violence and all these things, to just be better men and encourage other men to be better men. You should see the responses. The men got so angry. She could make better choices. You know, it's always to put back on the woman about how she internalizes these experiences. So I can see that experience being internalized where people will tell you, well, you should have made a better choice. And you know, they're in control of their character. Um, wow. You know, and and that's, I think, part of the other thing is that men are very visually stimulated, and I think some of them get so drawn into that that they, it's, a man without self-control is, 
a person that definitely is a red flag for me. Um, yeah. yeah, because that 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 was definitely lack of self control, and then that apathy of the response was is I I'm I'm just so sorry. Um, there should never be a price to pay for being a woman or being a beautiful woman. That should not be a price. Exactly. And that's because and my grandmother she always told me, "Don't be blonde. Don't act like a blonde because I like skin and I have red hair." So I'm just like, God, but don't act blonde all the time. I'm like, why would you say that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but don't, don't make yourself look so easy, you know? Or are you, are you too pretty? It's a curse. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a curse and a blessing because of the way you are. I'm like, what? It's not, but see, that's the thing, you know, because it could either be you're too pretty or your body is so developed or yeah. it's your fault. You, you know, I'm obsessed with you and it's all your fault because mm-hmm. you're this and you're that. That's, you know, that that's so problematic on so many levels. It's mm-hmm. not your fault. You know, it's not. Um, it, just because you're beautiful doesn't mean that anyone has the right to do this or take advantage, yeah. you know, of, any, of anything in any kind of way. So let's talk about how this trauma has affected your relationship. So, oh, you, know, wow. you know, I can imagine a, a woman that hasn't had that kind of trauma, she may take it one way, but a woman that has had the trauma, I can imagine how hard that must be not to internalize. So let's talk about how it affects all your relationships, you know, your your interpersonal relationships with trusting people, even losing your son. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have a big thing with trust. I'm now getting past that when you should last me four years I'm dating a gentleman, a wonderful guy, a wonderful, very wonderful guy. But he was my country back. Saying, you know, not hitting lies, but just always accusing him of doing something mm-hmm. because I trust is just so bad. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't fair. Fair to him, I, I would tell him, if you don't want to be with me, I understand because I'm had a lot of baggage. I'm bringing a lot of baggage to this relationship. And I don't want you to feel like I'm just always accusing you of stuff and she, I know you're a good guy, but I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And he's, not, he's not even doing anything for me not to trust him, but if he goes out anywhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, um, it's hard to really explain because per se for me that if I wasn't happy, I'm okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm, if I'm not happy, I'm accusing you for not making me happy. But mm-hmm. Okay. Because you're, you're, um, that's very characteristic of a person who's been disconnected from their power source. Yeah. So now, if, if someone, you know, your, your internal sense of, of your ability to do and take control over your life, once that happens, then yeah, you know, it's that man, the first one, he was in control over whether or not something was going to happen to you. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that you would, because this is how you were processing in your trauma, so it makes sense that, you know, you would look outside of yourself. That's a part of the journey. Yes. I'm like, I said, well, it's been four years, I'm learning about that, you know, so. But when I was pregnant with my son, I um, just told, Bradley told my husband, my husband, all right, I have a daughter or my, my son, whatever. Mm-hmm. You hurt my child, I'm coming after you. Mm-hmm. 
And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to do anything to our children. So he advised me, I think you need to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go to counseling. I went several years later. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went to counseling, I forgave. I just forgave, and everything was ripped off my shoulder. Do you think that um, some of the trust issues had a, 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 a an effect on your relationship and, and your and in the marriage? Yes, because mm-hmm. I yes, because I wasn't I wasn't completely happy. Mm-hmm. So I told my husband I'm gonna cheat on her. Mm-hmm. I just finally told him I was. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. still looking for love. I was still looking for love. Mm-hmm. And did and, you? Me? Did you? Yes, I did. But you told him. Yes. And I ended up cheating. Ended up cheating on him. Yeah. And I want to hold space for that, too. Because, again, you just illustrated very beautifully where that came from. Lots of times when, you know, people cheat in a relationship, you know, as a person on the receiving end, it's so easy to say, oh, that person is lack of character. They're a horrible person. They're a narcissist. They're evil. They're selfish. But are you those things? No, I don't think I am. No, you're not. No. But that's how a lot of people will internalize. Yeah. 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 That's how they receive that. You know, yeah. you were honest with what you were going to do, and there's a source to it. There's a source to it, and it's part of coping with pain. Yeah. And it's like I would see people, you know, we call people crazy or something. It's mm-hmm. a reason why they're going through what they're going through. It's mm-hmm. not going crazy. They're not just going crazy. Something mm-hmm. happened. Something happened. Anyway, they don't know how to internalize it happen or go get the right kind of help. But we all that person's crazy. No, I stopped saying that a long time ago. <laughs> right, thank you. You know, the people say, we say in our society that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. But we don't really process that. We use it yeah. as a slogan. But then when someone hurts us, we don't look at the fact that they're hurting Mm-hmm. And that's why they did it. And really, them hurting us is not about us. It's about them and their pain. Yes. You know, um, so I, I, I need to hold space and honor you for talking about that. You know, I think that's a lot of character because what you have just explained and illustrated for me is how um, we can become toxic to ourselves. That's a part of the journey. When that kind of toxicity gets de- deposited in our lives, we have to sort through it. It's almost I, I, how you don't env- embrace it and how you don't react in negative ways to try to get rid of it. That it, it, I don't know how that's even possible. Um, and so part of it, it really also illustrates the reason for why we need to heal. Because because this is so normalized in our lives, we develop this. Now you are, are I personally think, of extraordinary character to be able to say these things and to be able to come forward and be public with it and say, hey, these are things I did as an attempt to heal um, that I had to learn I had to get better. But how many of us, again, it happens and we don't even talk about it. There are people that are adults, you know, in their 50s and 50s. That have never they're ashamed. They're ashamed. It's ashamed. Yeah. It's Because I talked to somebody when I was, um, you know, doing the book and I'm promoting my book and I was passing about info and stuff that's like, oh my gosh, can I give you the props because I, I am not there. Mm-hmm. Well, you said it's 50, 60, 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and it made me think, like, I can't believe how so. But not only you all listen, you you broadcast it like you're running for president. I think no, I said I'm ashamed. It happened. I can't change it. You can't. I can't change it. It's you know telling the story. It sounds. It's like telling the story. It unlocks that for you. It unlocks all of that. It it drops the shame. It it takes you into a place of this is what happened. This is where these things are coming from. And this is how I I harmed myself. How I hurt people around me, but I'm going to be better. I'm better because I was suicidal. I was suicidal growing up, and I didn't know why. I didn't. I didn't know why. I mean, I knew the after that. I didn't know. Why. I mean, why do I want to kill myself? Yeah. I never did anything to do it, but I always thought about it. I always thought about it. Do you remember around what when it started? Um. I think I was 16. Yeah. I was 16. 16 years old, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I'm still here, too. Yeah. Yeah. I can help other ladies. Like I said, I helped two ladies from committing suicide with my book. From from the reading my book. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I don't know if you realize. I mean, I guess you do know how powerful it is. I, I do. I do now. First, when I was writing to it, I was like, why am I going to do this? Nobody's not going to do this. Nobody's not going to relate to this. Just to push that. Knock that out the window. Knock <laughs> <laughs> that out the ballpark, for real. But I, I have changed a few months, and I'm very thankful. So I always feel like I can touch one person. I do my job, you know. Just one is just one. Because touching that one touches their generation, you know. Yes. That person begins to heal by when they say that you heal generations before you and after you because you're really helping bring things to light for the people that came before you and the people that come after you, you're breaking the cycle. Yes. That is powerful. That's why for me, like I said, this has been a, a slow read for me because this is you this is a book that you have to digest and understand. It's not the type of thing that you just read and say you know, there are moments when you sit back and your heart aches. You know, you, you it, it's, I mean, when you describe the experiences, it's, 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 you're just such a powerful woman. Um, and I'm so grateful that you have uh, found a way to tap into that power. Thank you, thank you. And be strong in that sense again. That is uh, an amazing, beautiful thing. So, um, before I let you go, I want to talk about, um, some of the advocacy work and talk about, you know, your thoughts and feelings about Marcy's Law. And also I'd like to talk to you especially uh, because you mentioned that you, you found out you were six weeks pregnant when you found out. Um, so let's talk about the house oh, in one. That yeah. is so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't believe that that's not fair to the woman. How are you gonna tell someone that they have to keep their baby if they don't want the baby? Yeah. This is our body. And, and I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're saying anything about, um, get approved, you got raped or something. I don't know. Did they, did they discuss that? I didn't hear anything about that. I haven't either. As far as I know, that's, that's the bill that's on the, bill that's on the table. I, I'm not aware of there being other provisions. Okay. Or in case you were raped, because that's a part of what the, um, entire uproar is about. Um, so the bill basically says, that after six weeks and six, you cannot have an abortion. So that basically 
that makes abortion illegal in Georgia, which is unconstitutional, which is why the ACLU is challenging it in court, because most women don't find out. You know, you're not going to find out if you're pregnant before your first period, before the first period passes. Even if you took a pregnancy test, it would be too early to take a pregnancy test. Well, I don't know. I I think some of them, do they have that now where some of them are a little bit more advanced? Yeah. You're not going to have any indication within two or three weeks that you're pregnant. I I think I was almost 13 weeks when I had my abortion. Yeah. I was almost 13 weeks. My baby right now, I am probably 47. My baby is 34 years old. Yeah. You know, and, and giving space to that, I know people are saying, but, you know, giving space to that, I think there's just, that, that, it's, 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 tragic on so many levels that people that are pro-lifers see that as, you know, forcing the woman to give birth to the child, particularly in a scenario like that, um, they have no idea how that woman, she has to raise the child. Yeah. You know, so, you know, how she internalizes that. How, you know how many kids are out there that are the products of rape that their mothers could not connect with them? And they didn't, they're traumatized by their upbringing because their moms couldn't connect with them because they were a product of the mother's trauma. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to ask of the mother, and that's a lot to ask of the child. You know, it doesn't keep, it, it, it does not set the, the child up for a good quality of life at all. And then that time, since they're going to try to pass that law, now they're going to go back to the old ways, people going underground to go get abortion. And that's where the days are coming Yes. Yes. Well, I tell you this much, though. I have um, engaged with the ACLU um, on several occasions um, in, on, on, on a, uh, uh, a social justice level, and I know that ACLU uh, interns, attorneys, um, I, I, every person I've ever interacted with from the ACLU is like they are incredibly sharp and thorough, very okay. thorough. That's a part of it. It seems like it's a part of the MO. Um, so it, in all of the cases that I've kept track of that the ACLU has pursued, they won. ACLU of Georgia, um, in that regard, um, I think that they will be successful because, again, uh, the, a state cannot rule abortion to be illegal, basically, which is what this law does in our Constitution. Roe versus Wade uh, says that it is. So, But, see, the challenge is, I think, that the, what these states know is because Kavanaugh is now on the Supreme Court. They know that he's a person that is against Roe versus Wade. That what the what these states are predicting. This is why Brian Kemp would be why you know why they're going to pass these bills because mm-hmm. what's going to happen is that they get challenging court. It'll get lost on the state on one level, but then what happens is that if the case will eventually go to the Supreme Court, and when the Supreme Court decides it's in favor. You have more of these people on the Supreme Court right now that are in favor of eliminating Roe versus Wade. So that's the end game that they're anticipating with this case. So we can only um, keep our eyes open for that. I pray, I pray, Lord, on that pass. Right, because it's not like Supreme, Ju- Supreme Court justices are not people, they're appointed, you know, so they're not people that we can vote out of office and they hold that position until they die. So, or they decide to leave, you know. Um, yeah. 
So that's that's where that that becomes highly problematic. So let's go to Marcy's Law because that's yeah. just, you know that's only there, um, and it's yeah. something that that yeah. is an effort. At least I'm grateful. Um, I know lots of women are grateful um, that that measure was put into place. So can you yes, talk a little bit about that in your involvement? Oh uh, yes, Marcy's Law is for, um, a law that just got passed for equal rights to crime victims. It's for any kind of victim robbery. Rape, murder, you're able to go to court with the defender and set by that basis what's going on with their case. You know what the court date, when the court dates are, you know when they're going to be released before they get out. Versus finding out after they get out, they're at your doorstep with a gun, a gun at your head or something. So now, you now, you know every step of the case was along with him. You would not be left out of the hold of nothing. It's outstanding. It's outstanding. And I was very part of very happy to be a part of that, you know, going down to the Capitol for two years, protesting with him. Yeah. And, I mean, it's outstanding. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful. I'm like, wow. So... And I wonder what else that we can have to help have. Something with um, sexual assault. I don't know, but I will be looking into that to find out. Well, let's do that together. Okay. You sure can? Yes, ma'am. I would love to do that because, you know, uh, for me, um, uh, child uh, advocacy is, you know, it's, 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 you know, understanding it the way I do, uh, stopping this violence. As children, um, it prevents perpetrators. Yes. And it and it prevents people from being hurt. Yes. You know, uh, you know. So it it it, it stops the the, the the cycle. It's it's a way to stop this cycle and, and break it down mm-hmm. and, and and sort of relieve some of uh, what's going on. So I hope the more that, awareness, the more the more we all the awareness, the awareness that we can get. Yes. And since I have, you know, you know, I'm working on my book as well. Um, and so since that, um, since I decided to do that, I have really um, had this deep desire. Uh, again, I told you, you were very inspirational to me because you know, you're the person. Uh, when I met you on Live Life in the Purple mm-hmm. um, and heard about what you were doing, it's kind of been circulating in my head to then that, you know, this happened to me, but I don't have to be powerless. I can be the only people that go to you because, because you absolutely can. Yeah. They, it's not, you know, they can't close the public out of their uh, congressional sessions and, and people are, are go down there all the time and advocate for these laws. Lots of mothers, <laughs> you know, lots of women do this yeah. uh, to help uh, promote the change. And really, if we want change, that, that type of involvement is where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll consider I have a book. Yes, yes, because that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you to talk about uh, your new book that's coming out. And um, yes. No, it's out, it's out already. Oh, it is? Okay, good. It's out already. Um, it's a letter of healing to reach a higher purpose. It's compelled with um, six other authors, survi- uh, such as salt survivors. And we have letters to our defender, letters to the inner child, and let us to the survivor. Mm. So all seven of us have our own three little letters. 
and manifest your best. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So thank you again, and uh, check to everybody. See you next week. Tune in at three o'clock uh, for all new episode of Dynamics of Dialogue. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you found the information to be very helpful to you. If you are in fact living with domestic or sexual assault violence in any form, I encourage you to reach out to Rain at rain.org. There you can find a live chat with someone or you can call the number 1-800-656-HOPE. That is 1-800-656-4673. Whatever you do, I encourage you to get help today and I want you to know that you are not alone.